Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Hey, I'm Jonathan Aberman. You know, the very nature of healthcare is changing dramatically. We're going to be joined by Todd Stottlemyre. He's the CEO of Inova Personalized Medicine, and he's going to explain to you why precision personalized medicine is going to change your life. Speaking of changing your life, the modern media, the way that we communicate through radio, TV, video, a lot of those technologies are created and distributed here in the D.C. region. Make Avon is an entrepreneur who's been part of that for quite a while now as an innovator and as an investor. We're going to talk with him about his newest startup, ICX Media, and why and how it's going to change the way people consume video. An underappreciated aspect of our economy is how many of us do business in other countries. Well, the current political environment, conversation about immigration nationality, aren't keeping people in this region and overseas from getting things done. We're going to talk with Amy Glover, an expert in the practice of the private side of diplomacy. That's what's in store for you in this episode of What's Working in Washington. For many years, the treatment of disease and healthcare has been based upon treating patients as if they were all the same. The reality is the technology has now progressed to the point where people can be treated on an individual basis based upon their genetic composition. Todd Stottlemyre, CEO of Inova, Center for Personalized Health. Todd, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for being here. Well, Todd, you and I have been friends for a long time. I, I've watched your career. You've gone from buying and selling businesses, being CEO of a private company. You've been the head of a, one of the most prominent trade associations in the U.S., and now you're involved in Inova. It seems to me this is the kind of career that I could only imagine being done in, in a place like Washington. Am I crazy? Not at all. I think Washington's a, a great place to uh, to start a business, to grow a business, uh, to move into different industries, uh, to take on different types of uh, challenges and opportunities. And having a chance to be a CEO of a national trade association, uh, be able to start a technology company, and now work in an exciting place like Inova, where we're focused on personalized health and how we keep healthy people healthy. What's the common What's the common thing that seems to drive your career? Well, I think the thing that's always driven me is the mission and the purpose of the organization and the opportunity to build and and uh, grow an organization. Whether it's been you know starting a company or working at another technology company or a trade association or now at Anova, the opportunity a very purpose driven, mission driven organization where you're excited about what the organization does, the chance to build a great team and uh, do important things that are nationally significant. So your friend and mine, Mike Daniels, uh, who's been a part of the entrepreneur community here for quite a while, once said to me that he thought the biggest difference between entrepreneurs here in D.C. and other parts of the country was the sense of mission and purpose that brings many of us here. You just touched on that. Do you think that is a big differentiator for how entrepreneurship uh, occurs here in this town? I think that, I think that's exactly right. I think people who start companies, build companies here are very purpose-driven, very mission-driven. I'm sure for many people, it seems almost inside baseball. It's so counter to the image that that people have around how and why you build a career here. What do you think we're not doing well as a region from the standpoint of making it clear that this is a place where there there is so much flexibility and opportunity? Well, sometimes we don't uh, probably tell our story as best we could. I think we have a great story to tell, uh, but sometimes we might be a little bit too modest uh, about what we have within this region, the talent that we have within this region, the companies that have been built and created within this region. So maybe a little bit more confidence in uh, articulating some of the great things that we've already done and we're doing today. I think that's something we need to do better at. Now tell me a bit about uh, personalized health. This is a pretty important trend. 
What is personalized health? Well, for us, personalized health is fundamentally about how you keep healthy people healthy in the first place and how we take the power of uh, medicine and the advances in genomic science and better predict and prevent disease. And if somebody gets a disease, how we target that disease uh, with very specific therapeutics and treatments based on the disease that that person has. And that's the precision medicine uh, element of, prof of uh, personalized health. What's different about this technologically from, say, 5 or 10 or 20 years ago where you had just a really smart cl clinician trying to evaluate which technologies to use? Well, one of the most significant things that's happened in the last 15 years has been the mapping of the human genome. And you couldn't fundamentally do that without technology. Uh, increases in high-performance computing, uh, storage, uh, uh, software, data analytics, looking for patterns. So technology has really been foundational. It is foundational to the advances that we're making around precision medicine and personalized health. And so now we can actually understand the specific disease that you have, the molecular characterization of that disease. So there may be 40 or 50 different types of lung cancer. You have a specific type of lung cancer, and we want to treat that specific lung cancer, not the lung cancer that somebody else has. And that's the science fiction future now aspect of this, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, we're here today. I mean, we, we're able today uh, with, uh, with genomics and uh, genetic markers to understand very specifically the molecular characterization of a person's specific disease. An example would be breast cancer. Uh, a woman might have a BRAC1, BRAC2 genetic marker, and we know if those markers are present, then we're going to have very specific and targeted therapeutics and treatment protocols um, if they have those specific genetic markers. If they don't, then we'll have other um, uh, targeted therapeutics and treatment protocols. Now, that sounds to me as if what we are at the cusp of is being able to treat people on an individual level, but it also sounds to me like that's going to create some very significant issues with respect to insurance with respect to reimbursement and regulation or provision of healthcare in general, what do you think about that? Well, that's exactly right. The, the challenge always is that technology and science runs much faster than public policy, and that's no exception in this case as well. So in reimbursement, insurance, reimbursement for predictive and preventative types of genetic tests that can actually uh, let an individual know that they might have a higher likelihood of getting a disease, we want to see those types of tests covered. They're not all covered today, but the public policy arena has to catch up to where the science is today, and more importantly, where the science is going. Does that end up, in effect, becoming a reason why something like personalized medicine really is a great opportunity for the D.C. region? It sounds to me like almost, for example, the revolution in telecom 20 or 30 years, 20 years ago with MCI and Sprint, or Capital One being proximate to the regulators. Is this an industry where really the opportunity is, if you're close to regulators, you're most likely to be able to create an industry? Well, I think it's a great opportunity this region for a number of reasons. Uh, first, the presence of the federal government. You have the NIH, you have the FDA, HHS. You have big federal agencies that focus on health and obviously fund significant research in this area. Secondly, we have some great universities in the greater Washington, D.C. area, more broadly defined between uh, really Baltimore, Charlottesville, and Richmond, uh, that have substantial capabilities um, in these areas. And the third thing is that we're technology-rich, particularly information technology, and all the advances that are taking place. Again, technology is foundational, high-performance computing. We're talking about speed. We're talking about storage. I mean, lots of data, software analytics tools to look for patterns. I mean, you're looking for patterns fundamentally. So we have some very unique assets within this uh, greater Washington, D.C. region that I think really positions us to be a global leader. Todd, as part of really jumpstarting this effort on uh, personalized health, Fairfax Nova took over the old ExxonMobil campus out in, in Northern Virginia. Big space, a lot of promise. 
looks to me like things are starting to get active there. What's going on? Well, it's an exciting piece of property for us, and most importantly, what we do with that piece of property. And over the next uh, 12 to 15 months, the property is really going to come alive uh, with the new Shar Cancer Institute, a research institute, the Innova Clinic, uh, a technology-dedicated uh, facility as well. So the campus is really starting to come alive. And then as we look more long-term to the, the development of the campus, how can we create a globally significant destination location where the smartest men and women from in, around the world want to come to the Washington, D.C. area and be on this campus to make exciting discoveries and personalized health to fundamentally improve the lives of uh, the people within our community. So lots of exciting things going on over the next 12 to 15 months. Well, another example of why and how the greater Washington region is greater than some of its parts, an opportunity for people to be mission-driven and also entrepreneurial. Todd Stottlemyre, CEO of Innova Center for Personalized Health, thanks for taking some time and educating us both on your career path, but also this exciting economic opportunity for the region. Well, thanks for having me. Enjoy being here. Washington, D.C. is a media center. It's a place where entrepreneurs build great businesses in the media. Who knew? Well, our next guest knows. Michael Avon is chief executive officer and founder of ICX Media. Mike has been involved in various media businesses during his career as an entrepreneur and as VC. Many name brand businesses have come through his office or been started by him. And now he's up to something very interesting with ICX Media. Mike, thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks for having me here today. Well, you've been here in this part of this community involved with Millennial, among other companies. Why is this a great place to do a media-related startup? <laughs> Probably not the obvious place to do no, a, a media-related startup. But you know, I, I've always, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. and didn't think of it as a technology town. I've uh, lived in San Francisco and New York and other uh, more established tech towns and came back here about 17 years ago. And I just found a great workforce here. They're great technologists. They're great business people. They're really good data scientists here. Some come out of government or out of government contracting. But more and more, we've been building up a really good technology community here, um, which helps to build media technology companies having great technologists. You know, on the media front, it, though we're not New York or L.A., this is a substantial media town. You have businesses like Discovery and Nat Geo and obviously Washington Post, Gannett, Tegna, a number of others. Um, so we've been able to draw great media talent from this region uh, great data science talent, great great technology talent, and it's uh, you know it's it's uh, it's it's sometimes exciting to be a bit of the underdog, being from the city that isn't the obvious city uh, to build a media technology company from. Well, I think that there's a general acknowledgement around the country that we generate a a lot of content. We, we do, <laughs> actually, or otherwise, but we're not talking about content creation here. We're, you're talking about content distribution and and making money off content, right? right? Uh, absolutely. So tell me a bit about ICX Media, and this is, I mean, there are already other places where people can get videos online. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Why and, and how is ICX different? Yeah, we're taking a very different approach to, to video. Uh, we describe what we're doing as money ball for content or money ball for video, if, if you've uh, read the book or, or seen the movie. But the idea is that we're using analytics and data science to help individual video creators, media companies, and brands uh, be more efficient and more effective in distributing their videos, in marketing their videos, and in making money from their videos, and even in some cases to help them make uh, content creation decisions, content production decisions based on math, based on looking at what consumers are actually watching, engaging with, what advertisers are, are, are uh, paying to sponsor, uh, what consumers are subscribing to watch. 
and it adds a, a level of science to what's historically been a you know kind of a thumb in the wind uh, intuition type of business. Um, it we're in the early days uh, of of we think really revolutionizing how content's created and distributed, uh, but it's been very exciting and and DC is a great place to do that from uh, partially because we're not right in the middle of Hollywood or not right in the middle of, of Madison Avenue. I think we can take a little bit different approach coming from here. It's interesting to me as you describe it because I know that generally you. People tend to think about videos. You're putting up a video of your baby or, or mm -hmm. so forth, and YouTube just lets you run an ad mm -hmm. or something, and it's very unpredictable. It sounds to me, Mike, that what you're describing is very much how people are approaching written content. In mm -hmm. fact, arguably, this whole issue around, quote, fake news, unquote, is nothing more than people figuring out how to game the search system right. to create content that's rewarded in search. Is that what you're doing with video? You're you're allowing people to target their video to better monetize it, or or, or how is it different? No, uh, it, it is not. We, we hope we're not involved in fake news at all. So we hope that what we're doing is enabling creators to and producers of content to develop really good content and get that really good content out in front of people who'll be interested in it. Mm -hmm. it. Might be a very large audience. It might be a small audience. But it's an audience that wants to hear what that creator, or that artist, has to say. Um, so what we're looking at, we're not looking to game the system. We're looking to find audiences that might be interested in specific content, get that video, that content in front of them and give them an opportunity to watch it. And, and if they're excited to then follow that, uh, that creator moving forward. So it's, it's really using data, using math to try to find the right audiences, no matter what size they are for specific videos. These, this isn't about cat videos and you know, kid mm -hmm. videos. This is about people who are creating you know, vlogs, talking about issues that are important to them. It could be, um, uh, it could be news related or politics related. It could be beauty and fashion is a big category for us. It can be comedy. Uh, it can be people who are creating web series. It can be people who are doing music videos. Um, there's any kind of video that that uh, that are out there today. And if you spend some time on YouTube or Vimeo or Facebook or Snapchat, it's pretty amazing uh, some of the new content that's out there on these you know, so-called user-generated channels that, that really rivals premium content, the type of content that you're used to seeing. Uh, on television. So if I hypothetically mm -hmm. had a business podcast in the Washington, D.C. region, hypothetically, and I wanted to create a, a video series to reach mm -hmm. audience, how would I, as a business person, interact with you and use this technology? Yeah, you, as a business person, would go to icxmedia.com and uh, sign up to use our app. Uh, we have a free version of the app, so we allow people to, uh, to test out the app, to use some of the basic functionality for free. Uh, and then uh, a more premium version for serious bu uh, business people who are trying to build real businesses. Most of the the, uh, the services are self-service, right on the web or, or through a mobile phone. Uh, we provide some value-added services as well for some of our larger customers, uh, where we're providing a little bit more hand-holding and, and uh, some direct services for them uh, as well. But it's very simple to use. We have uh, many thousand, uh, thousands of creators using the, the, the platform every day. We have hundreds of thousands of creators uh, who have access to the platform. So we have a lot of scale very early in this business. And uh, we're very excited about uh, about the speed with which we're building our, our customer base. Speed. Sounds to me like you're working too hard. Where are you finding the talent to grow your business? Isn't it hard to get people from outside of this region to come and locate here? Yeah, it can be. We've had a lot of success. We're still a relatively small business, and we've largely recruited from the region. Uh, but we have had some people move here. We've had uh, people move from the West Coast, which was great. We were challenging uh, Silicon Valley, and we had some people that moved here because they actually thought it was a better opportunity to come here, uh, to be at a, a, a more high-profile startup in this region versus being at one of the thousands of startups in, in Silicon Valley. 
Um, we've also done a good job recruiting internationally to date and have some uh, some great people here um, who, who chose to move to the United States and in some highly skilled positions that are that are helping us out, particularly on the data science side. So it's uh, DC has actually been um, a, a good recruiting tool. People find this a, a livable city and a, um, and a very interesting city to, to build a business in. Well, we've had Advertising.com, mm -hmm. Millennial, ICX, uh, Capital One. Mm -hmm. There are a number of really significant companies have been growing here, billions of dollars of value created. Mm -hmm. What do we have to do in this region to create more of an ecosystem so that entrepreneurs think about doing media service companies here rather than doing, say, a, a Facebook app? Yeah, a Facebook app. Uh, well, it's interesting you brought up those companies. I think part of the answer to this is uh, repeat entrepreneurs and, and successful entrepreneurs funding other companies. So you, you brought up Advertising.com and Millennial and Capital One. Uh, most people don't realize that Advertising.com, which was really the first major digital online advertising company, actually largely came out of Capital One. The founder of that, Scott Ferber, one of the founders, had worked at Capital One. Nigel Morris, who was a founder at Capital One, helped in the early days of funding and, and shaping that company. Millennial Media basically grew out of advertising.com. When we put the company together, we hired much of the team, and ICX Media now comes out of that. So our lineage goes all the way back to this you know, incredible financial services company that has almost nothing to do with media, um, but uh, but did uh, help drive this revolution in using data to target ads and, and do uh, targeted marketing. I think what we need to see is more entrepreneurs who are successful in building up companies, turning around either starting another business, funding another business, or otherwise supporting other businesses by being board members or advisors or otherwise. And you're starting to see a lot more of that in the community now than, than we saw five or 10 years ago. Another reminder how the DC region is a leader in entrepreneurship in unexpected places. Mike Gavon, CEO and founder of ICX Media, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. aspects of the greater Washington region's business community is the interplay between public policy and international relations and business. Our next guest is Amy Glover. She is director of the Mexican practice at McLaurie Associates. McLaurie specializes in, in helping, well, so it's almost the, the private aspect of public policy for international clients, big expertise in trade in Mexico. Amy has spent a lot of time outside the country. How do people react in, in Mexico with this change in administration? How did how the election affect them? I think there was a lot of fear. And, and frankly, Mexicans, I think, have been offended by the way um, they've been referred to in the context of, of the, the U.S. political campaign. Uh, Mexico has been a great ally to the U.S. In many, in many ways, both economically and in terms of security. Several um, terrorist attempts have been thwarted precisely because of Mexican intelligence, something that very few Americans know. And in fact, Mexico is a very peaceful neighbor. Um, issues related to the drug trade are very complex because they're also related to demand for drugs in the United States. So it's a joint problem. And and I think there was, you know, a lot of disappointment on the Mexican side. Um, but I think some of that is we're moving away from that now and and trying to think about how we can focus in a positive way on all of these other ties, um, both civil society, culture, so that we can move forward together. There are a lot of companies here that do business in Mexico, I assume, oh, among course. your client base. What are they finding in the current political environment? Is it affecting their ability to do business, or how is it unfolding? 
Well, it's a critical moment, and I think a lot of education has to be done about the critical importance of our neighbors and how they help us as Americans be a competitive region. So uh, Mexico and Canada are our partners under the North American Free Trade Agreement, an agreement which has been in place for 23 years. Five million U.S. jobs depend on the economic relationship with Mexico. If you include Canada, 14 million U.S. jobs depend on this relationship. Mexico is the second most important market for U.S. exports. So we have a lot at stake here. We sell a lot to Mexico. Mexico is a major customer for the United States and a major strategic partner for us. Now, you just mentioned some statistics. You mentioned jobs that are dependent upon. How does that relate to the jobs that have been supposedly displaced by the manufacturing facilities that are in northern Mexico under NAFTA? Has anybody done an equivalence or an, an economic analysis comparing the two? I would say that it's difficult to look at trade as a zero-sum game. Um, that really, North America, the three countries, we are the most competitive region in the world. So what allows that competitiveness are the different comparative advantages that the countries have. What has happened to manufacturing in the U.S. has been the technification of manufacturing. So far from anyone being replaced by, you know, someone living in another country, they've been replaced largely by robots. And in fact, there's an excellent study done by Bell State University that shows that from 2000 to 2010, 87% of the manufacturing job losses were due to productivity increases, only 13% to trade. I find it interesting that we're getting together in the recent aftermath now of the United Kingdom deciding to leave the European community. In a lot of ways, the relationship between Mexico and the United States and, and Canada is very much moderate on the on the EU and, and free trade. Do you think that we've entered a period of time where the, the advantages of, of free trade, the, the employment advantages, are getting obscured by by politics? Definitely, because if you've seen over history and time, Trade is a way to increase the pie. So we want to keep the engines of growth moving forward. What we need to figure out is how to make sure everyone enjoys a nice slab of that pie. Mm. And what's happened is that a lot of people feel that they haven't been included in globalization. But to solve that, what we need to do is not look towards protectionism, but rather help by providing um, training, education, health, to those populations that feel that they haven't been a, a productive part of this new economy. So Mexico is a huge market for many American companies. My understanding is that a, a recent study that was done by J.P. Morgan, the Global Cities Initiative, identified of the 100 regions that it's involved with around the United States, the Washington, D.C. region was 99th from the standpoint of export success. And the Global Cities Initiative has identified exports as a primary driver for economic opportunity for our region. What do you think we need to be doing? How do we do a better job of being an exporting region, do you think? Well, I think as a matter, you really have to do your your research, understand the market, understand the dynamics of that market. It is it does require a significant amount of expertise, which, you know, there are consultants like us that help companies do that. You know, I think the neighboring, you know, states of Virginia and Maryland have quite a bit of an export base as well. But I do think there's definitely opportunities there and that Americans shouldn't shy away from looking 
at their opportunities on a, a global basis. So with so much negative news that we've had around the whole U.S.-Mexican relationship, how are you and, and the companies you're working with, how are you still making things happen? Isn't it a lot tougher now? It, it may be psychologically tougher. I think you have to kind of pull those mental cobwebs away and say, not nothing has really changed. Um, what we need to do is can continue to think constructively about how we can deepen these relationships and make sure we keep increasing that economic pie for, for everyone. I was down in, in Mexico, actually, in the state of San Luis Potosí uh, two weeks ago, which is the state where the Ford plant was canceled. And there was a lot of hand-wringing and, and Frank, you know, a little bit of uh, fear with respect to what's going on in the U.S. and how it was going to affect Mexico. And my advice was, well, we're not exactly sure what uh, will happen moving forward with the bilateral relationship, but Mexico really needs to continue to think positively and be attractive for investors and look to other markets. I mean, I think Mexico is looking at what it can do to deepen its ties um, with uh, South America, Brazil, Argentina, Asia, and, and Europe. So if you were in charge for one day, what would be the one thing you would have the United States do that it's not doing right now to uh, promote itself and its ability to export? I think what we need to do to be more competitive is to do a better job on education, training. I think technical training is fundamental. The Germans do it exceedingly well. We should look to that model. And healthcare, we need to have competitive people and well-prepared people in order to compete. And I would say also, too, part of that is studying foreign languages. Um, it, it's very easy to speak languages, you know, to speak English around the world. And yet speaking another language goes so far beyond just the technicalities of the communication. It's understanding the culture, understanding what moves uh, people to do certain things. And when you speak the other language, you have a great advantage. And the advantage this region has is it is a cosmopolitan community. It is an international community. So it, it, it sounds to me that if we are to take the advice of groups like the Global Citizen Initiative to grow, we need to take advantage of the resource we have and develop our cultural connections. Definitely. And as you point out, D.C. is definitely a very rich environment in terms of the international and cultural um, population you know that we have here so a reminder that politics and trends may come and go but the opportunity to get things done always abides amy glover director of the mexico practice at mcglaudry associates thanks for taking the time to educate us and more importantly thanks for your efforts to continue to help the dc region grow of course it was a pleasure to be here thank you Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. Our executive producers, Tracy Madigan, and our online contributors are Michael Hoffman and Barbara Ulrich. I am Jonathan Aberman. We tell you what's working in Washington, but we're also asking the question, what's working in Washington for you? So please let us know. We're on Twitter at What's Working DC. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington, the power to get things done. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.